Hey guys, just a heads up, no intro right here because I don't have the file because it's on my computer that's currently broken and I haven't had time to put a new one together, but there'll be music for the rest of the episode and I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, here I am. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast. I'm super excited. I finally have a computer on which I can record, so we are good to go for the time being and I'm just so you know, my computer is still on the fritz. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on with my computer. My very good friend is letting me borrow his old computer so that I can at least get some content out there to you guys and I don't lose all of my listeners <laughs> for the last month and a half. Hopefully not, right? Uh, it doesn't appear so. You guys have still been listening quite a bit, and I really appreciate that. Uh, thank you for spreading the message. Thank you for getting it out there and sharing it with your friends and your family. And um, Yeah, so I guess to kind of catch you up a little bit, like I said, my computer took a crap on me. <laughs> that sounded weird. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it uh, basically, I thought it was one of my hard drives or something like that. I posted, uh, did a post on Facebook for those of you that follow me on there and um, thought that was going to be the fix. So I tried to reinstall Windows and that wasn't the fix. So I basically narrowed it down to the motherboard and I'm trying to replace that. But for some reason right now, there's a big motherboard shortage going on as well. So I just get, guess just bad luck for me. But it should be here by Thursday, which is in a couple of days here. I'm recording this on Tuesday night. So um, I'm really excited for uh, for that to come in so I can see if it fixes my computer and can get a setup, a legitimate setup set and in, in place so I don't have to worry about uh, checking my levels and things like that before I get down and, and talk with you guys. Um, but anyway, um, what to talk about today, guys? What to talk about over the last month and a half? What have I been going through? Um, and that's a that's a hard question, actually, because I feel like the last month and a half has been filled with a lot of different changes for me. Um, not only has the world been very chaotic, right, and getting more chaotic, it seems, as we get closer to the election time and stuff like that, but I found in myself that over the last month, month and a half, that I felt, um, I guess the best way to put it is that I'm just kind of going through the paces. Felt like I'm a little distracted. Um, I think a lot of it's been due to, to, to not having this outlet. This is a big outlet for me and getting my ideas out, right? And uh, not being able to come on here whenever I had that drive and urge and to kind of express myself made it to where I, I kind of started to fall back into the same old routine in a, in a way, but not the routine that I like to rely on, the routine that kind of degrades me. Um, and so I guess maybe that's a good place to start because... I think there's many times, uh, especially with coronavirus, this is a really good topic I think to take with uh, what I was just talking about is one of the things that coronavirus itself did, I think, to me um, and for many people, most people, is it kind of the restrictions that were put in place and the lockdown when it happened, um, it took away a lot of our ability to go and decompress, right? People would decompress in different ways. And I think that, uh, you know, for you, it may be the gym. For somebody else, it may be, I don't know, going to the movies on the weekends. Um, you know, maybe for some, it's going out to the national parks or whatever it is, right? Uh, but when a lot of that stuff started to close down and when you couldn't even go out and walk your dog and stuff like that um, in some parts of the country, I think uh, we were all forced in a way to kind of sit with ourselves. And that's a, that's a funny thing to happen because... There's very few times throughout human history that I can see that I've seen, I, can, I can pick out where that's happened, um, where people have been kind of forced to to sit with themselves and contemplate, because that's what happens when you get put when you're isolated in a sense is is you're forced to think about your life and think about where you're at in life and that's a very uncomfortable place to be and that's partially why we go and try to 
I was talking about decompressing, but I think also distracting ourselves is another thing that we do with the outside world, right? But I meant to take it in more of a positive light. I think that um, when that that for many people we have those kind of outlets, those healthy outlets that we try to maintain that keep us a little bit sane, right? Give us something to look forward to. And when coronavirus hit, it took that away. And so for me, at least, what I've ended up feeling is is this sense of um, frustration and and restraint uh, that I I haven't felt in a long time. And but it is a feeling I've experienced before. Um, it's, a, it's a type of control that I've never experienced in civilian life before, but I've experienced repetitively, repeatedly over and over again in the military, in my experience in the military. Um, because in the military, you make a choice to give away some of your autonomy. So in some ways, you expect it. That's what I mean by not expecting it in the civilian world. Um, I didn't expect to ever experience that kind of control in the civilian world. Um, and so when when the restrictions started to hit for me, I think if you go back and listen to the podcast around when those started, because I've been doing this the whole time, um, if I remember right, because I haven't listened to them in a while, I'm pretty sure I was fairly, um, maybe even a little bit overreacting in the way I assessed the coronavirus being a reach for power or a grab for power. Um, that's partially why I said that, is because... For many of you, if you've never been in the military or any kind of, of, of service, let's say, where you have to trade away a certain amount of autonomy uh, to be a part or a member of that group, it's harder to understand how big of a deal it is to experience this kind of restraint in a country like the United States, a system founded on freedom and liberty, right? Um, it's easier to miss what just happened. Uh, but when this started to happen, first started to happen, that's why I was a little bit almost conspiratorial about it, I think, because I saw this control happening that shouldn't exist in the civilian world in the United States of America. And But it, nonetheless, it was. And so what that told me is somebody is grabbing or something is grabbing that kind of control because that's never been in, we've never been, it's never been used before <laughs> in this way, I don't think. At least not this aggressively in our country, from a federal level and a state level, really too. And the way you experience that practically is in kind of not being able to go out and decompress, not being able to kind of continue your life, the things that you had had done to keep yourself healthy and maintained, the things that we need to keep doing. Uh, if we're going to fight off something like a virus or an infections, infectious disease. Um, the control that we tried to enact weakened us at a deep level, not only in terms of the virus and our relation to the virus and our ability as a population to fight it off. We actually drastically increase the odds that the most vulnerable people within our population will contract the disease and will get a bad version of it. Let me explain what I mean by that. If we know that a virus predominantly affects one swath of the population, let's say elderly, right, as we know with the coronavirus, that it's much more pre prevalent in the elderly community and also with people that already have pre-existing conditions. What does, that, what does that tell us? Well, that tells us that 
those people need to be isolated in some way, right? That those people that are most vulnerable, we need to pay attention to, we need to protect, we need to help. That's, a, I think, a pretty logical point to make. But the, the next part that we did is we kind of said, no, let's restrict everybody. And that's where we went wrong. And that's where I'm kind of confused. And what I'm trying to talk through right now a little bit is why we made the leap from trying to protect our elderly population and our most vulnerable people, which were already somewhat isolated because many of these people already live in, in retirement homes or retirement communities, self-isolation, right? Or already are in a hospital or being treated for something else. So we already have a relative to every other group that this could have possibly affected. That group is already the most isolated. <laughs> so all we had to do was isolate the people that are the most like the least vulnerable of actually dying from the disease, but very prevalent of actually catching it like young people from, from interacting with the, those most vulnerable people, right? Keep the young people away from the old people and the sick. That would have been the most practical method, right? Because what does that do? Well, it allows most of the population the general population who's out there functioning in society still, right, is still actively participating in society. It allows those people to continue to do those things, maintain themselves, but also develop an immunity to the virus, catch it, get through it, allow your body to naturally respond to it, and develop an immunity to it. So that eventually the virus itself cannot survive in the general population because too many people have immunity. This is the idea of herd immunity, right, that we've heard talk about. Well, now carry that forward if we have isolated people. If we've isolated our most vulnerable... And then we, do, we allow the people that are healthy and can fight it off to develop herd immunity. That's the end to the, that's how you get away from a quarantine situation, right? It takes a long time. It probably takes a whole flu season or a whole coronavirus season to get to that point, which we would have been at right now if we would have done this, right? But we didn't. Instead, we isolated the whole population and said we can kill a virus or we can stop a virus, which is the messaging behind it, by restricting people all of the population, shutting down the economy itself and keeping people from doing the things that allowed them to decompress, like I was just saying earlier, how I started this conversation and got in this rabbit hole, right? If you can tell, I have a lot to talk about, guys. I've been restricting myself a lot the last couple, or this last month, because I haven't had this outlet. We may have done irreparable, irreparable, that's a hard word, damage to ourselves as a country by enacting the kind of control measures that we enacted when we met, enacted them. Instead of going from a more, what I would say, argue logical standpoint, as I believe I just laid out, right, of restricting and isolating the most vulnerable and allowing the general population to continue and the economy to flourish and everything like this to happen so that people themselves are in general healthy and happy still. The other part of this equation that we haven't talked about is the suicide issue that's coming up because of the kind of restrictions that have been put in place. We haven't drawn that line yet, but that's exactly, there's a, there's a massive increase in suicide rates from what I've heard. Something, I was listening to a podcast the other day, I think it was on Joe Rogan, it was quite a, it was quite, actually quite a while ago, but they were talking about how the suicide rate had jumped, I think in LA County, something, it was something like they had gone from like two or three suicides a day to like 17 a day or 18 a day, or it was even more than that, maybe. I'm trying to be kind of conservative in my estimate. In general, people are much more unhappy when you control that, when you make them stay inside of one place. The, the quickest way you can drive people insane is by isolating them. So you isolate the entire population of the United States for months, months, and months on end. What do you get also with that? Suicide. So hey, by trying to save lives, you kill people.
two examples of how you actually at kill people in passive ways without realizing it by trying to fix a problem. I've railed against experts before. That was one of the things that I was railing against when this first started was Fauci and all these other like medical experts that were saying that they knew how we would get around this and that the curve, we flattened the curve and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, yeah. But there's something very scary about people that believe that they actually can solve problems as big as a virus. It's the most audacious assumption you could make. It's disgustingly audacious. <laughs> it has no reverence for the complexity of nature or life itself. And in that, you see how maniacal a lot of these people are. Fauci already, already did it once with AIDS. He's basically a self he's basically the self-proclaimed AIDS like knight that went through and like wiped out AIDS for everybody. And he's done a lot of really good work to help the to help in that pandemic as well, right? A crisis. I don't know if you call it a pandemic, but crisis, right? But you can see from what I from my perspective this kind of ego that develops out of that that if you've already proclaimed yourself as like the leading example of AIDS uh, in AIDS research and, and and all that kind of stuff, an expert in AIDS research and fighting back the AIDS virus, then you'd be really confident in going in and saying, hey, when an actual, like when something that affects the entire population, hey, I can solve this too. You're not helping anything when you do that. You actually actively kill people, like I just laid out. One of the things I don't like right now is how we're pointing fingers politically to try to blame this virus politically on let's say the trump administration or like i was just kind of backing up like a lot of conservatives are trying to blame all of the democratic states and all of this kind of political leadership and you know what i i gotta be honest with you i don't think they're wrong i'm trying to approach this from an objective perspective but if you look at a map right now the cities that are going through the most turmoil right now, the cities that are burning, the cities that are being where there's riots taking place, the cities where every night there's businesses and homes and things like that vandalized, destroyed, those just happen to be Democratic-run or controlled states. That's I can't find one example where it's not. And it's partially, I think, because we've made this political red line in the sand I saw this developing when I was a part of the Democratic Party. I don't know if I've gotten much into this before, but last election, 2016 election, I was as gung-ho Democrat as far left as you could possibly imagine. I, 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 was, I would have been on board for the Green New Deal and anything else you could have put on the board. I mean, everything. I would have, I would have partially because I had taken it up as my identity. And this is, and this is where I why I make assumptions about why people have the political leanings they do, why, how, how, what people look like when they're ideologically possessed. This is a, something that Jordan Peterson talks about and has talked about in depth. Um, that there's a way you can tell when somebody's ideologically possessed when you're talking with them. And you'll start to notice that as you talk to them, you can predict what they're going to say next. And the reason you can do that is because they are reading from the same script in a sense. I know this because I did it myself as well, right? When I went through and studied politics in college, right? I feel as though very insidiously I was indoctrinated into this certain way of thinking, that there was a right and wrong way of viewing the world, that this is somehow set up and predicated on you accepting that there's a controlling power in the world that's trying to subjugate minority communities or anybody that has it, that is not a white male, right? White straight male. 
that this is a fundamental, we would call it the patriarchy, right? But that this fundamental patriarchal, I cannot say that word ever, system is what makes up the world itself, the modern world, the Western world itself. And that the way that we solve the problems that we're experiencing is by getting people within that that evil system to enunciate what they are. And if they won't enunciate what they are, to go and show them for what we think they are, right? If that makes any sense. This is this is the kind of belief I held. I felt like I was indoctrinated, indoctrinated in, in school. I studied this, like you would study engineering or any other kind of degree, right? And that's what I came out thinking. I went to DC and bathed in that soup for a, an entire summer and got to see kind of politically what was happening. This was right after Trump got into office, right? This was probably six or seven months after Trump got into office when I went to DC. And so, I, again, I was very liberal still on that on that side. I had voted for Hillary in the 2016 election. I had told myself I would never, you know, I was one of those people, not my president kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I, I'm never going to be on the side of this man. Partially, one of my, my objections with President Trump, I think at a basic level, was a moral objection. The way that I viewed the man as a immoral kind of representate. But here's the thing, though. I got to separate this real quick. There's something that we've done with how we view Donald Trump, and I think this has been intentional that there's been a way that we painted this man as an immoral thing now i think the reason most people think he's an immoral thing is because he is abrasive right if you ask people if if, if you if you go and kind of talk to them you know why why what's what is it about trump that you don't like they'll kind of you, you'll notice they're at first they'll go <laughs> they'll get like this they're like oh there's too much to name kind of a thing right it's usually how how they'll approach it and then it's and then they'll start to kind of list off these ways in which he's just kind of an asshole quotation marks right now abrasive is a better way to put that right he's more of an abrasive person right now that doesn't make him immoral by definition being abrasive or being kind of an asshole doesn't make you immoral even though we like to think that, it doesn't. <laughs> but but what, what you can do is kind of tie that identity of being somewhat abrasive and pushy and kind of um, alpha male-like, right? You can tie that to this system that I just described to you, patriarchy. The alpha male goes to the patriarchy. Patriarchy is morally inept, morally bad because of how it subjugated, subjugates these minority communities. That's why he is too. He's an example of one of these patriarchal systems. He's the head of his company with literally his last name as the name of the company, right? Uh, he's kind of like the billboard for the idea of the evil, evil quotation marks, businessman. And I think that's, why we've tied this moral thing to Trump and why people have a moral aversion because if I actually try to go, excuse me, if I actually try to go and, and objectively view the man, which is what I've tried to do over the last two years since I've gotten out of that soup, that mush of chaos that I experienced on the left, it got so unbearable after a point, after about a year and a half into, after, uh, into, the, into Trump's presidency, I just couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take the constant negativity that I was getting every single day. The whole world was burning and the only way we solve that is to kind of eliminate all the people that looked and talked and sounded like me. Right? White men. 
And so what did that do to me? That told me I'm not, and, and also I'm trying to be a representative in that party. I'm trying to make a career in that, in that space. And I'm being told <laughs> by the party that preaches equality that I am the problem. That one group is the problem. It's white males. And so how was I ever to expect to have a political career in a, in a system in which I was the problem? Right? This is kind of why I went away from the left, because I felt as if they pushed me away. That at a fundamental level, I think the liberal idea of trying to... Re There's a perversion in the liberal, modern liberal idea. It's not accurate. It's not, it's not a, it doesn't match up well with the classical liberal idea that the country was founded on. That it matches much better with socialist and communist ideology. Which is why you hear so many people that are conservative. I think conservatives are really, quotation marks, classical liberals. If you talk to most, most modern conservatives, they're more, they, they, they tint more towards the libertarian end of the spectrum. Most people do. Right? Um, and because of that, I think that li the libertarianism is the best modern and modern description of what classical liberalism should look like. It's not exactly right because I think there's a little bit too much, for lack of a better way of describing it, egoism within the liberal libertarian movement. What I mean by that is I don't think that the classical liberal idea is based on you trying to improve your position in the world. You trying to improve your position in the world. It's actually you trying to figure out how you fit in the world. Right, that there's a very specific path that you have to navigate, and that you are very specific and that you're very unique. Right, and it's a very liberal idea. You're very unique, and that it's very important that you enunciate how unique you are. But you have to be honest with yourself to be able to even see what you are. This is why we've talked through all the things that we've talked through in this episode, these podcasts. Right? How do you get to a point where you understand what your truth is, where you can see where you're headed? what your value is, where you can value yourself without having to look into the external world or other people to value yourself. How do you get there? Well, you have to tear down your ego. The thing you've built up and told yourself you are, the thing that other people tell you you are, all of that, you have to break it down so that you can actually enunciate and be the thing you were meant to be. The thing you knew you were when you were a kid before you trained yourself into, you tricked yourself into thinking that you're something you're not, right? That it's a there's a necessity for you to figure out that problem. And that there's something very beautiful and, and, and it, that there's something that the only way that that process happens properly is to create an environment in which liberty flourishes. Where you try your best to make a set of guidelines that allow people to develop that process. But you, you do your best, your absolute best to not infringe on, on that, on the liberty that re that requires, on the, on the breadth of that path, how different it can be for different people, right? How varied experience can be in the world, all of that. Because we need that kind of novelty for us to expand and grow as a thing, as a human collective, as a species, as a globe. It's an, a deepness. That's the fundamental thing we got right in the United States, that's why there's been so much success here is because that is what's happened. That's why there's an upward explosion of development ever since you see the, the since the, the, the 
uh, I want to say invention, but that's not the right way to describe the country. <laughs> since since the uh, what is, I'm, I'm missing the word right now. I'm sorry, guys. Brain fart. But since the beginning of the United States, <laughs> uh, you've seen this massive spike, not only in kind of um, in, in every way. There's been this increase in. I don't even know how to describe it. I think you get what I'm trying to get at. This increase in in knowledge, in in um, experience, and in, in, in the way that the world interacts with each other, in, in the amount of things there are in the world, the variations between those things, the ability to engage in uh, in global communication, in the, the the ability to, I mean, all of this. I think this explosion stems directly from not the United States being born, but the idea on which the United States was founded that spread globally after the United States was founded. Why do you think we refer to half or most of the world as the Western world? We've traded out the liberalism idea there, the classical liberalism idea. Another way you could describe the Western world is the liberal, the, the, the classical liberal world. But in many ways, the, the labels don't matter. That there's a necessity for us to maintain that freedom, that liberty, in, in which we're liberty, liberal, liberal. I mean, it's literally the root word, right? Um, it is it, the the... We need to maintain that kind of an environment. We are doing a really shitty job of that right now. We're, 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 we are regressing. You can feel this. I'm sure you as a listener can as well. If you don't live in the country, but you live somewhere else, you probably, maybe you haven't, but maybe you're experiencing this in a different way that I, I'm not privy to, right? But I think this restriction is more of a global movement because the idea under attack is the liberal idea, the classical liberal idea. And the funniest thing is it's being attacked by people that call themselves liberals. There is not a single liberal, quotation marks, liberal democratic candidate or representative that I have seen in the last three to four years that espouses anything like a liberal ideal. Classical liberal ideal. There was one, there's one lady that I, I'm, I'm forgetting her name. <laughs> she was, she ran in the Democratic primary um, that I thought would have been a fantastic candidate for the Democratic Party. That was a good embodiment, I think, of the classical liberal idea. And I don't know why I'm forgetting her name right now. <laughs> but I think there, it's very exceeding, it's exceedingly rare to find within a Democratic, the Dem modern Democratic Party, anybody that even understands the classical liberal ideal. That we've we really have conflated that with an idea a more a more Marxist idea. It's it's a class based thing that the, the Democratic Party has 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 played into has turned into has allowed themselves to to morph their their arguments because 
I think what's led the party astray itself is that they... that Playing politics has consequences, has ramifications. I mean, you don't speak honestly about what your intentions are. When your intentions turn into being reelected instead of being a representative, slowly what happens over time is you try to morph your messaging to what you think people want instead of, instead of trying to be a representation of what people are saying, Right? And what have you seen? This is one of the things that people complain about constantly in politics is, is people are never doing what they're saying they're going to do, right? Or that these politicians, the politician figure is kind of this empty, lie-ridden thing that just will tell you what it wants to get you. It's kind of like the snake oil salesman is what the politician is, I think, modern day. The modern day equivalent of the snake oil salesman. And there's a reason for that. It's because many people, most representatives, have allowed themselves to be corrupted by the system itself. And, and, and to, to, to put down the responsibilities of being a representative, which entails listening and repeating and trading away your autonomy. That's the other thing that I don't think I don't see represented or embodied in any of these representatives, quotation marks, is an understanding that one of the things that we need our representatives to do is, un, is understand that it is a sacrifice that when you become a representative, when you are elected, your voice is now the voice of millions of people. You no longer have a singular identity. That's the that's what you're giving up when you run for office. Instead, what we have is people that that try to trick others into voting for them until they get the power that the office entails, and then they try to enact whatever their vision or ideal world would be. And that's why there's a disjoint between what people say they're going to do and what they actually do, because they don't believe what they say they're going to do. Most people don't. It's one of the things that people liked about Donald Trump. And why I'm telling you right now, guys, if the Democratic Party is not careful, it's actually, I think, maybe too far gone. This is going to be a landslide election. I'm going to call it right now. There's no way in hell that Biden and Kamala are going to win this election preaching the message that they brought out. A message of destruction and despair and the way that we fix this is to tear down, defund police, all this kind of stuff. That is a a fundamentally anti-American message. (laughs) And one of the things that I can say about Donald Trump is he does what he says. That's one of the things that people liked about him. And one of the things that I actually like about him as well. I think there's a lot more people, like I said, I was as far left as you could, excuse me, as you could have gotten. And I am about as, I'm not far right. I'm trying to not, I'm trying my best to not to do the same thing most people do and just boomerang to the other side. It's really tempting right now because a lot of the arguments I hear coming from the conservative side of the aisle are logical and they're, they're grounded in a reality that I do not see the left recognizing that the the left has has become so obsessed in its own narrative that it actually believes some of the shit that it's made up and because of that they're i feel like the the democratic party itself is going to rip itself in half because it's it's like my last episode was named playing with fire that's what i was talking about with that title and i kind of referenced it in the middle of the podcast as well is that you don't get to 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 use things like fear as a motivator predictably you can use them but people when they're scared do really crazy shit right like you can 
you can you can control them or you can kind of you can you can try to point that or vector their 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 hatred or their fear or whatever it is but that there's a lot of collateral damage in that that there's going to be and when you have groups massive groups of people that are all consuming the same message you have to understand that there's a lot of individuality in that consumption as well that that the fundamental idea of liberalism is true that you are very specific and unique that your experience is unique and you're going to interpret shit differently because you're unique and so when you broadcast a general message and then label one person or one thing as the problem what you do is you send a a swarm of bees in one direction but those bees get off track as they're going there they like they, they get distracted they because the, you, you're using a really negative emotion and so like let's say those let's say I'm, I, I think bees is maybe a bad example but like um you know, you have all of these people that now believe that there's a systemic problem in the United States, that there's actually people in that in on that have their hands on levers of government that not only um, are complicit, but intentionally try to kill a certain minority group of this co- this country and try to hold down uh, 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 other other minority groups in this country, any minority group, really, period. This is the assumption that there's an active like coup inside of our government to do this, predicated on the idea that it has existed before. And this is one of the problems, is that they, when asked for evidence of this, what you get is the shootings that we've seen. But if you go review those shootings yourself, if you can stomach to watch those videos, go watch them yourself. And and I guarantee you, if you haven't before, you'll be surprised. How, I'm, I'm thinking you're going to be a little surprised when you come out of watching those videos, because they don't... I haven't seen one yet that didn't look justified. I'm sorry. I've also been a cop before. It's a little easier, I think, for me to place myself in those individual shoes, those officer's shoes, and understand how scary of a fucking job that is, how much of a responsibility it is, and how much of a weight it is to go into work every day knowing that there's an entire population of people that not only hate you, but are being vindicated in their hate for you. It's not like I'm trying to condone killing or anything like that. My wish would be that that violence would never occur. That's also a wish. It's not reality. Reality is that there's a lot of people in this world that are misguided and misled, that make mistakes, that make bad decisions, that the point of cops is to interact with people in exactly that situation. That's their entire purpose, is to interact with people that have made a wrong turn, have made a bad decision, or are about to make a bad decision. That could hurt other people or themselves. That is the whole purpose of police departments, to try to give guardrails so that people that are devolving don't take down other people with them, that we have to maintain this kind of stability so that people can develop and we can continue this freaking spiral upward, not downward, right? That police officers are incredibly important in that process and that is very telling that one of the things that's being attacked right now and trying to be defunded and torn down is literally our system of keeping the stability that shows you that this is not a liberal movement this is something different people what's happening out there this is something much different if we i started off talking about morality a little bit in, in relation to donald trump and my confusion on trying to figure out why we've labeled him as an immoral person 
Because what I what I've started to wonder as well is maybe you know a person in a political life or in a public a public life like that nearly impossible to hide your skeletons, right? We've talked about on before on this podcast that we all have skeletons, right? We all have things that we've done that we're ashamed of. If you're shaking your head no right now, you're lying to yourself. I know there's nobody shaking their head no right now. <laughs> but the difference is, is that you don't have to be in the spotlight 24-7. And that I think what's happened with Donald Trump, and not only him, but a lot of other political figures, a lot of people in the spotlight like this, is we take their skeletons in the closet and then we highlight them and make them seem we play this really coy game or like ooh they did something really nasty they had a skeleton i don't have any skeletons uh, and we're all playing this coy fucking game with each other as if you don't have some nasty shit in your in your closet too just like everybody fucking else and that what the media has done and what the left has done is allowed you to feel morally superior to one individual because his skeletons are visible I can't remember the exact quote, but there's a story from the Bible. Um, I believe it was in the, it's in the New Testament. It's a story of Jesus. Um, but he is, I believe, I can't remember where he's at, but uh, I know it's, uh, there's a, he's walking in this town, and he sees a stoning going on. Now, back in that time, stoning was a common punishment that was dealt out kind of mob rule, right? That... Um, there were certain things, especially that women specifically could not do. One of them being, I believe, prostitution was frowned upon or was considered a, a dirty thing. Cheating was considered punishable by stoning. Um, and if I can't remember the specifics because it's not the point of the story, but the idea is that Jesus was walking, saw this woman being stoned, um, and then st stopped and, and, and tried to kind of push the people away, right? Stop the stoning from happening. And the question he asked, towards these people is if you the person that hasn't sinned casts the first stone right and that's the idea I'm talking about right here if you want to judge somebody else you better make sure your, your, your soul is spotless first you better and I guarantee you it isn't That's one of the things that's disgusting about virtue signaling. About the way that people try to signal to other people that they're moral and good, that they're on the right side. You gotta have suspicion when you see people doing that. You have to be a little suspicious of them because Or at least people that overly criticize, are a little too quick to criticize others. I think this is a good rule of thumb. To watch that trait in people because there's a reason they're doing that. And it's probably because they have some kind of crushing thing going on. That there's maybe something about the situation they're criticizing that resonates with them. That maybe be similar to something they've done in the past. Or maybe it's something like they feel inadequate or they feel as if what they've done is worse than what that person has done. And if anybody learned what they had done, oh my god, it'd be over with, right? So... 
they try to distract or divert attention away from themselves, but... And that we've done that at a large scale for a while now. I'm sorry about making this so political my first episode back. <laughs> but I'm trying to get a lot of stuff off my chest. And I know it's a little disjointed as well, guys. I'm sorry for that as well. But I'm just like always, I'm not going to be editing this. I want to send you my full and complete thoughts. I want to be honest with you. And I want to maintain that relationship that we've been doing, we've constructed here. But I think there's something deeply important about the time that we are coming to. I talked about that in the last episode as well. I think we're... Not Joe Rogan. Uh, Joe Biden got that right. That this is a very critical time. But he got it wrong in the way he described, the way he was using that. He was saying that it's a very critical time for you to vote for me. <laughs> right? It's a very critical time for you to vote, and I just so happen to be running as one of the two people that you can vote for. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh no, he got that. He's using a truth to benefit himself. The truth is, this is a very critical time, but it's not a critical time because you need to go and vote for Joe Biden or even because you need to go and vote for Donald Trump. No, 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 no. It's a critical time because it's a time where you get to figure out or can figure out or see a little clearly how full of shit people are. I think there's a few people in this world. <laughs> I include myself in this in this group that have been saying this point exactly for a very long time. That the way that we've constructed this world, the way that we interact with each other, the assumptions that we've made, the tearing down of religious institutions, the tearing down of morality that stems from religious institutions, all of this has consequences. And the consequences are, are that people devolve, people stop working on themselves, people stop behaving in a manner that in, encourages interaction, which is what our whole society is dependent on. And that if that happens for too long, it all devolves into a mush, a muck, a chaos that is much more complicated than we like to admit. I think for some people, this is obvious even when the times are quotation marks good. This was always obvious for me, but it manifested in a very uncomfortable feeling. It made me feel like I was rooting against the world, for lack of a better way to describe it. That when I looked out into the world as I grew up and as I went out into it and I started to work in organizations and go into the military and become a cop and do all this other stuff and go to college, that I started to see that no matter where I went, people were lying. Not just a little bit, like a lot That it's astonishing how often people lie to you and me and to themselves. And how willing people are to do it. And how willing they are to defend their ability to do it. How entrenched people can get in the lies they've created, the egos they've built. And that it has come to a head in 2020, people. That the, the pain you're experiencing is not the coronavirus. The pain you're experiencing is our ineptitude as a society, our inability to recognize our faults, our inability to look at the things we need, to leverage them, to connect with something deeper, to be humble, to understand that we aren't the only thing in this universe, to understand that we're not, each of us aren't the center of the world, that we are a part of it. 
that you're not alien to this world, that you come from it. And that I believe over the last five to ten years what we've seen is a population gaslighting itself. I guess is the best way I could put it. I don't even know if that makes sense. Let me think about that for a second. But it came out. (laughs) It's something like that. It's something like... The problem is each individual person in this world. but that we've all told ourselves that the problem is something else. That the problem is this group or that group or Donald Trump or Iran or Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever. You know what I mean? That we've, we've made... We've let ourselves down as a species. And I think that's what we're feeling right now. I think that's why there's a higher rate of depression and anxiety, not only right now, but leading up to right now. Why has there been an increase in anxiety and death and suicide in teenagers and and young adults and middle-aged folks across the board, pretty much every single demographic you can think of? Suicide rates, death, I mean, all of those drug rates, addiction rates, all that shit has gone up. Could it be because we're doing something wrong? I think so. (laughs) And you're like, well, Chris, that's really great. You just railed for 45 minutes and you got us nowhere. How are you helping? Well, I'm trying to be honest. I'm trying to demonstrate to you exactly what I think truth looks like. And what I think the solution is. Like I just told you, it's an individual problem. I can't fix you for yourself. I've had to figure that out the hard way with some really, really tough relationships in my life. I've had to figure out that you can't do things for people. But that a lot of times, almost every time, if if, if other people are experiencing problems, the reason they're experiencing problems is because of themselves. And that not only is that the most reasonable assumption, it's actually the most practical way for them to approach it. Solving those problems is to take the responsibility onto themselves. The classical liberal idea encompassed. That's what we need, folks. And with that, that is the Unfounded Podcast signing off. I will be back here shortly as soon as I can get back on. I have a lot more to talk about. Obviously, I was kind of on a rant today, so (laughs) sorry about it. Sorry if I offended anybody. Not the intent, of course, but I hope you enjoyed it nonetheless. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, please like, share, and subscribe. I'm on all of the major podcast platforms. You can visit my website. Uh, It's on my Facebook page. Uh, And also, um, I'm I'm on Twitter. I don't really use that as much, but I, I try to post on Instagram and Facebook quite often. I like to do, you know, motivational quotes. 
quotes and videos that I'm interested in, things that relate to what we're talking about. And a lot of times videos I bring up in the in the episodes. So if, you, if you'd like to follow along a little more, you want to expand on any ideas I've talked about, if you want to engage with some of the people I refer to on here, check out those pages. And also, if you think this would be beneficial to anybody, if you think it's an outlet or if you appreciate the message I'm trying to spread, please share it with somebody that you know. I also think one of the fundamental responsibilities we have as individuals is once you start to figure out yourself and what you are, you have a responsibility to spread that to the people around you, right? And I'm not saying that just to benefit myself right now. I'm being honest about this, right? This is an idea I got from Jordan Peterson as well, and I believe he got from Carl Jung, that it's, it's, a, um, it's a philosophical idea that you have a responsibility, right, to, f- to work yourself out, to figure out who you are, to enunciate that, and to go into the world with confidence, knowing that, what you are. And to enact good in the world, whatever that version of good is that you find. And the way you do that, the practical way in which you enact it in the world is not by trying to go to the very top of power and seize power and to institute it downward. It's actually the opposite way. It's to go to the people that you know the the best and that you care about the most and to do your absolute best to spread what helped you. To help those people help themselves, Right? And that what you get out of that, if you, if, you, if you can kind of imagine it, it's a really, really beautiful, symbiotic, natural process in which people grow. And as people grow, our society grows. Our communities grow. We become stronger. We become less fearful. There's more stability. People feel free to flourish. That's the route out of this. Let's start doing it, right? Stay safe. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.